Hey everyone, Simba Kader here, and you are listening to the MLOps Weekly Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Chinar, who is the founder and CEO of Mano, an MLOps company based in San Francisco. She's been in the computer revision field for more than six years, from research labs to venture-backed startups. She's led AI projects in different mission-critical applications, such as healthcare, drones, satellites. Mano solves one of the key problems of ML, aligning different stakeholders on ML model failures for an automated feedback loop and insight management platform. Mano went through the Berkeley Scabic Accelerator and they're expanding business in several different verticals. Jannard, it's so great to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So before we dive into some of the questions I have, I thought it'd be great to share a bit of your story. I'd love to learn more about kind of your journey to Mano. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm Chinar and I'm from Armenia originally. I have a technical background. Since childhood, I was passionate like about mathematics, digits and everything. And that's why I ended up in applied mathematics and informatics, not faculty where like girls can do their things. But yeah, I did that. And then I started doing my master's in information technologies. I really like how mathematics is being used in different industries. And because of that, I started doing research in AI, specifically computer vision. And it was like five or six years ago when I started doing some real world project in drones, like object detection for agriculture, like automated spraying and everything. And that was the first time I was trying to understand how we can use imagery and everything. And then after having this kind of like experience and everything, I moved to France. For my second master's, I started doing AI. It was in information technologies, computer science, and then systems, like to understand how AI is being used in chip designs, how helpful it is and everything. And then, yeah, I started doing my PhD. It was machine learning integration into cardiovascular problems and identification. These all like chapters have something related to AI, but different industries. And I have always worked as an engineer, as a researcher or tech lead and everything. So I know the whole kind of life cycle of this machine learning, AI, computer vision development. And I have faced kind of every problem, every challenge in every step, like data collection, data preparation. What if, how are we going to choose the model? How are we going to train it? And then deployment in the real world on Raspberry Pis, Jetsons, like these microchips and everything. And then model maintenance, how we make sure that these models are performing well. And while working as an engineer, one of the problems that I have faced was like, how reliable is this model? I could have some 99% accuracy on the test set, but once it's deployed in production environment, after some months, your product manager, business owner, or product owner is coming. Hey, China is not working. Wow. What can I do with this information? Can you have some more like actionable like feedback about the model or what's happening on the customer side where you are not happy? So with this like back and forth and everything, I started doing research in this like field to understand what kind of solutions are there. And then, yeah, that was the reason I started doing Manod. That's awesome. There's a ton on pack there. I think where I want to start is, do you have any advice for someone who is, you were in academia for a while, then you jumped into the real world where you were literally like physical world projects where everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Do you have any advice for like an academic, maybe someone that's listening, maybe much more of a academic background, trying to move to industry, how they can be successful and best apply their skills? Wow. That's a really good question. I'll share this with you. I started doing the research, like understanding how I can start a startup. Do I want to start a startup? What is the reason I want? To be really honest, I know like my investors can listen to this podcast, but I didn't know what is like pitch deck. When they told like pitch deck, I was like, 
it's just a presentation. I have done this before, like several times and to different people. And yeah, and I didn't know anything about that. But what was the reason, like the passion and everything why I did that? I was trying to understand how this academia has a lot of like good work, research and everything. But the question is how applicable those like results in the real world application. We have a lot of like benchmarks on a lot of cool publicly available models or data sets, but those like formulas cannot work in the real world, like in the production environment. So if you have that sense that there should be a link, there should be some adaptation, like smooth path, it will be much more easier to understand how to do that. And the tip will be like understanding the applications and also like just accept that in academia we do something, but in the startup and as we built something for more than hundred, our goal is to build this for a lot of like companies so they can use internally. We should make sure that it's working there. So that sense should be there. And yeah. Almost like focusing on the end user and just like, that's all that really matters. No, it's almost like a means to an end. It sounds like is what you're getting at. Getting that mode in from like, I need to build the best model ever to be every benchmark to, hey, this is what our users want to see. How do we get there? We talked a lot about lifecycle and kind of the lifecycle machine learning model. You gave a quick overview of it from data preparation, data cleaning, all the way to monitoring, evaluation, and debugging. I guess I'd maybe first love to have you unpack some of that model lifecycle and really focusing on where are the key challenges that people face, especially with computer vision models? That's a very good question. So in general, in machine learning lifecycle and then computer vision, which is like the same lifecycle with some specifications and everything. So what is happening? Let's say there is a task from an end user. They want a face detection model. What they do, they talk to a business owner within a company and they try to explain, well, we want a face detection. It's going to be deployed somewhere on a camera, in front of shop or wherever. That's all, this kind of like information. And then these business owners, they try to dive deep into some more details so they can kind of write down the definition of done, these like documentations and everything. And then they take that information and they come to engineers saying, hey, we want a face detection model, some specifications, and that's all. Like very limited like information, maybe about features or attributes about those like model specifications. And what's happening, engineers, what we do, we take that information and we go and we just look for face detection model and face data sets. And then what we do, we just get that information publicly available. We train that model. We look at the data and model itself. But the initial step is just to have an initial model. And then we try to kind of get some data from real world where the model will be operating. And then we do that inference on that, see what's happening. And that's all like, this is kind of the model development and then testing on our side and then testing it on some limited amount of data from customer side. So having this pipeline, what we see that is missing, like one of the questions that we should answer and we should be really careful is how representative is the data and how representative is the test set and what are the acceptance criteria? So these two stakeholders are happy with that. I'm happy with that as an engineer. So I have built, I know like what they want me. Business owner is happy as he or she understands the problem that customer wants to be solved and the customer is happy. But these three stakeholders, different stakeholders have 
very different like toolkits, very different like background or expertise in AI or in general, like in the field. And because of that, these like gaps bring a lot of challenges to the table, like how representative was the test set, how to make sure that it covers all potential like scenarios that are happening in the real world and how to capture that. Yeah, it sounds like I guess the three stakeholders you mentioned, the business owner, the end user and the engineer. Are there more typically or do you think those three are kind of encapsulate? Like, Who would you say the main stakeholders are in the mall life cycle? I would say these are like three main groups of people, like maybe business owners are product managers or just business analysts or like director of ML, computer vision, like end users are just normal people. They are just using AI. Yeah, the output of AI. Today, like I know you kind of seen the companies you've worked at. How do the business owners and engineers, like what have you found? First, like what's average? Like what do you typically see? And then, yeah, let's start there. What would you typically see with like a business owner and engineers and data scientists, et cetera? Like how does that collaboration look like? How are specs written? How is that done today? Yeah, well, I have spoken in my like customer discovery, like shit, I have spoken to more than 200 like business owners, mainly like product managers and this kind of people and then engineers. And yeah, they are not on the same page. And what is happening, they say like these business people, what they do whenever something is happening with the model or with some requirements from customer side, they just write down text, like they just write it very normal English. And their feedback is whenever they are going back to engineers saying, hey, we have this a piece of like information, we should work on this. And they are saying like, can you please translate it to some work so we can work? It's just a sentence saying that the model is this blah, blah, like I cannot use that to fix it. So it's just a Excel sheets and it's just a like documents or I have seen cases where they have these like mirror diagramming and everything, which is again, is not working. Or the opposite side, like engineers, they are saying something about the model, like let's say performance, like metrics, F1 score or a lot of like other metrics we know. And it doesn't make sense at all to these people. What does it mean? Okay, well, false positive rate is this. What shall I do with that? And how shall I communicate it to end users. So with this, they are not on the same page. They are just like using a lot of like existing solutions. They adapt it to their needs. And yeah. So let's say right now, you know, someone's listening where either, let's say an ML engineer or data scientist, and they're facing this problem or the other side, the product manager facing this problem. What would you recommend? Like, what does it look like when these two different stakeholders are aligned? Well, that's the challenge that we are solving at Manot. I would say Besides Manot, what I'm doing here, in order to be on the same page, in order to succeed the project and the whole life cycle and everything, I would say one of the most important things is to understand the customer need, like how the model is going to be used, what are the main needs of the customer, where the model will be deployed, and what are the criteria, and what kind of business problem is being used. These questions are very critical. And also... With these questions, there should be data-driven way of collecting the answers, like where it is being used, some video from that environment, or some information about like people or what's happening in that environment, like when it is, let's say, in the summer or in the spring, like these all have effect on the decision 
pre-development preparation of this development. So that's the key. And then having this information, engineers, they should ask a lot of like data related questions. So it's not about having a lot of data, but it's all about how representative is that data, like how we capture that data, like how informative is that. So with this, the life will be easier to have a good model and then at least like avoid further headaches. Sounds like kind of sticking to the end user, focusing there, and then just making sure that everything's almost like, almost sounds like what you're getting at is like PMs, business owners think in one way, data scientists and managers think in a different way, but in the end, all that matters is the end user. So like framing the questions, framing the problem statements in relation to the end user. I know you've been working on Mano. I'm curious to like maybe hear more about like how that looks in the Mano environment. Like how would it look like if I had the computer vision project, that feedback loop? How does Mano help in that? Yeah, what we have done with our solution platform that we are building, we have been building. So it's a platform that is designed specifically for these two stakeholders, like product managers, like business people who don't have much technical like expertise, skills, and developers. It's not a developer tool. It's a tool where these two people, they can log in and they can see what's happening. And the next step is, well, let's say there is a case of face detection model. What they do, they just link some information about their model performance on their like collected data where they evaluate their model performance in general. After that, the platform proposes insights in the form of images so they can evaluate it further, like kind of helping them as a hint saying, hey, these are the other cases like we see for face detection model where the model is not going to work properly when faces like people are with curly hair, pink hair, like this kind of stuff or the background is not so clear or the input is blurry, these kind of like categories. And one of the most important like things we wanted to capture in this like overall like challenge of model evaluation it doesn't require the model itself. There is no need to go like just check the architecture and see, well, yeah, maybe 7 billion parameters are trained. Maybe we need one more billion parameters to be trained so the model will be perfect. No, we cannot say that. We say that it's more about data. It's more about like seeing where are the gaps, where are the blind spots of the model in a data-driven way. So these product managers can take that data and can communicate with the data to engineers saying, hey, the model is not working well when there are faces, people with curly hair. And we see that in the environment, in the customer environment, there are a lot of people like that. And we should address that issue. That's great. And for those listening who can't see, Chinar is rocking pink curly hair right now. So <laughs> she's uh, describing her own experience of career vision models. <laughs> I almost try and like paraphrase what you're saying, because it's almost like rather than communicating in English, like you mentioned earlier on, like a lot of like the, hey, it doesn't work in this situation or someone said it's broken here. Being able to rather than send things in text, send things in data. Like here's almost like a packet of like a directory of things that generally describe the problem statement. And I have even some preliminary data showing you, the data scientists, that, hey, like, seems like we're kind of weak here. How can we fix this? And then you can take that work off. It's almost like allowing the PM, giving them the tools to be able, because it's not like, I'm sure every PM would love to be able to like give a very technical, here's what we need to solve. But it's not exactly what most PMs are trained to do. And it's not a good use of our time always to become that. But you're almost like making it possible for someone 
to be able to speak data science to a data scientist and really get across, here's what I need you to do. Is that fair? Yeah, it is fair. And plus, this is like from PM side to developers. And we can imagine the same from engineers to data scientists, data engineers or computer vision engineers to product managers. What we do, we collect data based on their like specifications that we have from customer side, PM side. We train that model, we test out it on the test set and we see like, yeah, 99% accuracy on the test set or whatever. But with us, after that testing, we say, hey, just link to the platform. It will tell you more about your potential issues just in case. You're fine. Your test set was perfect, but just be aware. Maybe there are cases that you have missed because test case is always limited. Like criterias are limited and you can miss some cases. And with that, computer vision engineer, when they deliver that model to the product manager says like, hey, you had these requirements. I have built that. And by the way, just FYI, these are the other cases where if the model will face this, the model is not going to work, but it's not my fault. I had your requirement. I did that and the model is working perfectly. Just in case, know that these are the cases. And if you think that these are important to the business owner, to the customer, we can curate more similar cases. We can curate yeah, those scenarios and incorporate back to the model and fix it. Kind of this like model evaluation and data curation is all like linked and they all are on the same page. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So rather than giving like a, here's our accuracy score, or here's our F1. It's like, if I'm a PM and someone's like, here's my F1, I can't really do anything of that. It's like, can you make it better? Oh, maybe. It's not really a useful, going back to almost like academia versus real world, like it abstracts away so much that it's almost like useless other than like, it's not bad, <laughs> but that's all you get. But it's not enough for, especially nowadays of what users expect. So yeah, it's almost like being able to, it's not evaluation, but it's almost like explaining via data what's going on both ways so that a PM can explain, here's what I'm seeing that's wrong in data. And then a data set explain, here's how it works, here's how accurate it is. Something I'm very passionate about and would love to get your take on is collaboration between data scientists, data engineers, and engineers themselves. In your experience, like what were the best practices you found? For collaborating with other data scientists and engineers. You mean like how they collaborate, what kind of toolkits they use, data scientists and data engineers? So, you know, we had the business owner side and the engineer side. I know the engineer side is a lot of different titles, but I'm curious to like what you see there with regards to collaboration. Like how does collaboration work there? Did you learn best practices in your own work or just in viewing customers now? on what works for collaboration between data scientists and all the engineers, I guess? Oh, yeah. It's evolving. Like what I have seen with these user interviews and customer discovery calls, just talking to engineers, talking to other like industry experts. So they have a lot of like solutions in the market. You can see whenever you Google something, you have some problem and you want to use some to solve it. One of the problems I see first is like kind of having a trust towards like these toolkits to see like, how beneficial are those tools? How compatible are those tools and how they can integrate it into their like stack and everything? And as an engineer, and I'm maybe a little bit bad example because I'm not an early adapter. I don't like using like tools and everything. I'm really comfortable with my tools and everything always. But what I see kind of there, just trying to understand if that tool is worth or let's say platform or open source tool is worth to spend time on it and it will be 
compatible to their like stack and everything and everyone will be happy. Let's say I'm a computer vision engineer and I need something so I can just use that and be able to work with labelers, like people who are doing data annotation labeling. This kind of like feedback thoughts are coming. So they want something like collaborative all in one and they can just use it to communicate everything, to collaborate with other engineers, other like departments within companies, or also like they use a lot of third parties. The example of data labeling, usually companies, they don't have internal data labeling. They just have teams outside of companies and they use it. You like mentioned a little bit, but you have your own tools that you really like to use. What's yours look like out of curiosity? I'm not coding anymore, unfortunately, but what I have, feel like I'm happy with Jupyter Notebook. I'm very, very comfortable with that and some Python libraries. Recently, I moved to Notion because of my co-founder. I was just using like sheets and everything. Slack is fine. Never was able to switch to Discord, but I'm not a good example. It's fun for me to see like all this is an explosion of tools, but a lot of data scientists I talk to kind of stick to the basics and I think it works well. For many people, I think it's just figuring out what's your core problems and playing around with stuff, make sure you know what's going on. But I think you don't need to like throw away everything every year, where if you were to like listen to like a lot of things, you might think you have to. I think that you can incrementally continue to grow. I think this is kind of like a huge focus now with LLMs coming into the mix. Another kind of gender of AI tools where people are like, cool, well, do I like throw away our MLOS platform and all our models? Or not. My take is it's more incremental. Most of the problems that you mentioned are about like data curation, understanding how models behave without having to look at the weights, which you could say the exact same thing for LLMs and other gender models. I'm curious to like how you see things evolving gender models. You mentioned things like face detection. Nowadays, I mean, even before gender AI and before LLMs, there was a ton of kind of off-the-shelf models. What do you think the future is? Do you think that there will be a lot more custom models? Do you think a lot of focus will go to kind of pre-trained models and fine-tuning? Or In fact, well, LLMs are powerful, yeah. But before LLMs, there are a lot of applications where right now I don't see like just an LLM model can be used for drones, for satellites, for like those applications, use cases. Those all are related to computer vision stuff, imagery and videos and plus computational limitations. We cannot use LLM on any edges like Raspberry Pis or Jetsons or these like microchips. That's an issue. So these foundation models cannot be used there. So still we are going to have small like custom models, maybe distilled from some huge foundation models. But again, we are going to have data curation issue like smart data effective data that matters to be used to do some custom training and use it our own like specific problems. So having said this, I do believe that these like computer vision related applications still need like custom training, still need data curation, data pipeline, or this infrastructure of overall like development, like data preparation, curation, and then model development and model maintenance, whole life cycle. In terms of LLMs, and yet, in fact, the other day, like two, three days ago, I was doing a customer discovery call with a company in finance. They were doing this like LLMs custom training to like different customers in finance. And what she was telling me that because of the performance issues, they're having customers churn. So every finance company, they don't have the same data. They have 
very different like customer pipeline. Their users are all like normal people, but their infrastructure is different in terms of what kind of information they are gathering from their customers, users. And she was telling that because of the hallucination or not good results in terms of output of the trained LLM, their customers are churning. So this field as well, there should be some data-driven way, explainability or something to be able to diagnose and understand, well, if this model is perfect for this use case, for this customer, how we can adapt it to others. And it's all about like scalability, how scalable is that like solution over there. This is kind of two different directions, but on top of this, we can see this multi-model direction, which is growing so well. Like ChatGPT4 has this DALI module, which is working pretty well. And I don't know from business, like B2C is obvious, ChatGPT4, like multi-model solution is being used. I use that as well. But how businesses are going to utilize that? What is that real business need that is going to be solved by multi-model solutions? I don't know yet, like I don't have anything there, but it's evolving really exponentially. And in the next like six months, we will see some results in multi-model with these foundation models. What are you most excited for? Because like, we're kind of in this weird in-between zone right now where like we're seeing this like huge explosion of kind of a new paradigm. I mean, it's not new, but it's almost like the models have finally gotten so good. Like our transformers have gotten so good that it feels different to use them than it used to. And I think it's just creating a whole different type of application that just didn't exist before. But I guess maybe going to the question, which is, yeah, what are you most excited for over the next year or two? Like, where do you think the world's going? What are you excited about? In general, I'm really excited about this fast growing, evolving tech environment and everything. Like every day, it's kind of challenging. You should be really fast because it's growing so fast. Like every day, they announce a new feature. With that new feature, you get a new opportunity in the market itself. You can use it. It's very exciting. So, And it's really cool to be in the field and also be part of this everything. I'm kind of, because of my expertise, because of like maybe my interest, I'm really, really passionate about this like computer vision and multimodal things. I do believe that it's going to be huge. Like we don't see that much like computer vision in the commercial applications in terms of how many models are in production, real usage production. But I do see that the market is growing so fast, like robotics or these AV companies, these all like every industry, they try to use it to streamline their processes, manufacturing, warehouse management or construction or mining, oil and gas and everywhere. So with this massive like growth, I do see that computer vision is going to be really helpful, useful. And because of that, because of the demand, it will grow. Most probably we will see some multi-model like real business needs that will require multi-model foundation models, integration and everything. But I feel like LLMs are not done, but the usage we see like finance is there and it's a huge, huge market and LLMs are being used and without LLMs, I don't know how they will kind of survive without this kind of like solution. I mean, two things you said that I really resonate with. One is the energy and just tech has just changed, especially in AI. It's completely different from what it was two years ago. It almost reminds me of when like everyone was building mobile apps 
And like, they were all kind of like silly and dumb and like super small, like a flashlight app was like a big deal, but it was this really high energy time. And then I think things sort of, it just changed. It was just different. It was just a lot more complicated products, a lot more folks. There's almost like a SaaS wave that came through. And I think the focus on startups changed and the energy around it changed. And now it feels like it's going back to that hacker focused mode, which is fun. It's really exciting. And then, yeah, I think the other piece is just already it feels like everyone's thinking about how AI and this new explosion of models changes their business. And no one's slow on it. I just Different companies are moving at different speeds, getting things to production differently. But I don't think there's really companies who are betting against it. I think everyone kind of realizes that this is what's next. How do we integrate this? And it's also been interesting to see how quickly that point of like, how are we going to do this goes into, we just have to do what we were doing before, but even better, which is like data curation, data cleaning. A lot of it's just data and monitoring. Traditional machine learning, like the hardest problems in my opinion, were always data and monitoring. And LLMs, or it's the same thing. Like the hardest problems are like data and monitoring. Awesome. This has been great. We've really covered a lot of different topics. Thanks for hopping on, sharing all your insights with us and the listeners. This has been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Great talking to you. 